Hello, everybody. Long time no speak. Um, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, with the one and only, your favorite, Gregory Tyler. Um, it's been a little while since I've dropped an episode. I've been, I've been a busy little beaver. I've been running around, I've been doing all sorts of stuff, so I, I apologize for the delay, but after this episode, things should get back on to at least a somewhat more consistent schedule with, uh, with this, with correct me if I'm wrong, and um, also hopefully with the wave this week, because we're trying to do that even though it's remote and it's been a little awkward and kind of difficult to figure out. We're gonna make it happen. We're gonna we're gonna bring the episodes, and it's gonna be it's gonna be great. But let's just uh, let's start this bad boy off with my rosebud and thorn. Now that I've had a little bit of time since my banana bonkers road trip, because um, obviously on you know, the last episode I was just going over that, but now I'm you know I'm back I'm back in homeostasis. I'm I'm all leveled out. So, I've got some normal stuff going on. My rose. My rose for this week um, was probably being in uh, New Jersey. I was on the Jersey Shore with my family. And then I got to, to go spend some time with my aunt in New York, which was great. We uh, went into the city only briefly for one day. Some other things happened, had to get back to Ohio. But there's nothing more relaxing than just hanging out at the beach. It was great. Uh, I watched a lot of basketball and just kind of did nothing, which really brings it all back to my consistent rose being not working. <laughs> like, pretty much as long as I, I don't have to show up to work, I'm, I'm feeling great and things are good for me. Which maybe that's bad. Another thing it always comes back to is, am I lazy? I don't think I'm lazy. Um, maybe I'm just at work. Or maybe I'm just content not being super busy. Um, I wish that were true. I'm actually still really busy because my, uh, my bud, my bud for this week is something that's gonna keep me busy for probably months at a time, if we're being completely honest here. So, one of the reasons why I went to New York was to help my aunt go through a, a lot of stuff at her house. So, unfortunately, um, her husband, my uncle, passed away about a year and a half ago, RIP Uncle Jim, um, and he was like, he was a super dope brain surgeon, like world-renowned brain surgeon. He separated conjoined twin, twins. They were uh, conjoined at the head. I'm not going to name drop him, but if you Google surgeon who separated conjoined twins, you'll find him. Um, and there's two. There's Ben Carson and then my uncle, and I think you'll look at Ben Carson and realize it's not someone who's related to me. So you'll, you'll be able to figure it out, I promise. But... He was basically a real-life Indiana Jones. He was a world traveler, and he was a huge collector. 
He was a collector of many, many things. He was a collector of wine. He had hundreds of bottles of wine. Uh, he collected, collected didgeridoos. It's um, an Australian instrument. I think it's native to Australia. I don't know. I'm not smart. He was. But one of the other things... Oh, the other crazy things he had. Uh, he had a bunch of a bunch of human skulls that I had to help my aunt get down off some high shelves because some gentlemen were coming to uh, hopefully purchase the skulls that he had. I have no idea how he got them or why he had them, and I didn't know there was a market for them. I honestly would have assumed it was illegal to sell them, and maybe it is, and I'm just outing my aunt right now. Um, so I hope that's not the case, but skulls he had he has a, a library he just called it his study but it's this beautiful library with all of his like trinkets and knickknacks he had shrunken heads in there he had a full suit of samurai armor just like all of the coolest stuff you can ever imagine this man just was casually surrounding himself with it and like he was going on location and bringing it back it's not like I mean, I'm sure he was just buying a lot of it, but he was doing a lot of it locally, which is super dope. But that gets me to the bud. One of the other things that he collected was buck hunting knives, which I didn't really know that there was a market for buck hunting knives, but I was helping my aunt um, get all these knives together, kind of sort them out, inventory them, and then she wants me to help her sell them. So I have, uh, over the last several days to a week, become somewhat of an eBay selling expert, if you will. Um, I'm just kidding. I've actually like already messed up a lot, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a minute. But anyways, so he has all of these buck knives. Most of them are all the same knife, too. And when I say he was a collector, I'm talking he has a hundred plus of the exact same, like, seven-inch buck knife. It's, I believe it's the knife from Rambo. So we were just sorting through boxes and boxes of these Rambo knives. And I don't know anything about knives. I worked at Cabela's for about a year, and I helped sell knives. I put knives on the shelves, but I can't tell you a daggone thing about them. But it's been fun trying to sell them, and little did I know that there's actually a huge market out there for these knives. So it's making me look super good because they're flying off of my eBay shelves without even having to do anything. Um, and it also turns out that they were fairly limited, so you know there wasn't just thousands, a million. I don't know how many of a knife they normally make, but there wasn't tons of these made. So he basically had enough of the knives that if I tried to sell them all at once, it would devalue them. You know that's all for all my business folks out there, supply and demand, right? I don't want to, I don't want to flood the the demand or oversatiate the demand with my fat juicy supply <laughs> so I'm trying to um, gently trickle them out there onto eBay and it's funny because people that are into knives like they're into knives so I get a lot of messages probably like four or five guys 
that have messaged me and they're like, hey man, let's cut some deals off of eBay so we can both save some money. Um, and I'm just like, dude, I don't know anything. You're gonna just take advantage of me. I can't do that. And a couple guys are like, let me just buy the whole collection. And I'm like, bro, you cannot afford this whole collection, first of all. And second of all, I kind of like being the gatekeeper to this collection. So this kind of comes back around to where I messed up. So this one guy, he's been um, buying, he's bought two, two knives already that I've been selling on eBay. And sent him one. I mean, I've sent him both, but he got his first one and he got real mad because I guess something was like off about it that I didn't include in the picture. Like something I didn't even know was going to be problematic. So he like sends me um, this pretty strongly worded message on eBay about how he wants a refund and he's going to do a return and how he wanted to bid on some of my other knives that I have posted, but now he's not so sure. And so I, you know, I don't, I don't care, honestly. Like other people are buying these left and right. And so I just messaged him back. So I'm so sorry. Um, I was like, I'm not a knife expert. I don't know anything about them. I didn't know that'd be a problem. Feel free to ask for a refund. Plain and simple. Um, and then before I could even send that, he sent me another message, and he goes, uh, <laughs> he goes, if you could just, because this guy, he's messaged me probably 20 times, and he goes, if you could just please contact me so we can talk about doing sales off of eBay and blah, 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 I want to personally buy stuff, what else are you listing, how many knives do you have, and I just told him, I was like, hey man, um, I'll be putting up more every couple of days on eBay feel free to bid on him if you want. And then real quickly after that, he changed his tone. And he's like, oh, he's like, oh, you know, misunderstandings happen. Uh, please just email me so I can buy in bulk. But he's, um, he's a little bit of an interesting fellow. And I'm worried that I'm probably gonna have to meet up face to face with the knife guy from eBay. Which, now that I've said it out loud, doesn't really sound like the best idea. But, I mean, I guess, I guess it'd be fair. I'll be bringing, you know, a box of 20 knives, so I'll have the means to defend myself. I guess a worst case scenario, and me and weird eBay knife guy just get into a knifing duel. And then I guess, I guess the winner just gets to keep the knives. So maybe I should tell him to bring his knife collection. That's it. I'll tell him to bring his, I'll bring mine, and we'll just duel for it. We'll just fight to see who gets to be the top knife guy in the business. And that's, I mean, that's the only fair way to settle this. We'll settle it like some uh, 1470 gentlemen or whenever they were doing knife duels. I don't even know if they ever were. Did the duel, was the, the duel, did that just come around with, with guns? Or were people dueling? No, people had to have been dueling with swords. Man, I'm really showing uh, the holes in my history, but that's besides the point. So 
I'm gonna have to deal with this guy, but I, I kind of like it now that I'm <laughs> like in <laughs> a, a top player in this super niche knife community with my my eBay page that has absolutely zero feedback and no one should trust me, but I have probably 15% of all of the knives. So it'll be fun. I'm enjoying it. I don't want to sell them too fast um, because I want to make more money. Sure. But mostly because like I said, I like holding the keys <laughs> to the collection. Um, but it's also a great way to pass the time and fill my days while I'm here in Ohio because I don't know if I said that but yeah I'm, I'm back in Ohio but um I'll get to that in, in a moment after my my thorn so this thorn I have two it's a two-part thorn first part of the thorn was having to drive back from New York to Ohio about 10 hours and after my literal cross-country road trip, Seattle to New Jersey. I'm just, I'm so over-driving and then having to do 10 more hours. And when I, if I'm gonna drive a long distance, I prefer to get up, get up early, get everything packed and ready as quick as I can and get out the door and hopefully get to my destination before I just have to go to bed. But as all of you know, that is a, a difficult thing for mothers to do sometimes, to wake up early, get packed, and be ready to go. So me and my mom, we left a little bit later, which is fine. I have no problem waiting on my lovely mother, but not only did we leave late, but there was just horrible rain, like basically the entire way from New York to Ohio. And driving in the rain sucks, Driving in the rain sucks even more when your dog is with you and he's not happy about it. But, and he, man, my dog, I've also realized recently how spoiled he is. So, like, when he's in the car, he's not a huge fan of the car, but when he's there, he likes to sit up front so he can look around, blah, blah, blah. And if there's someone else in the car sitting up front, he's so dramatic about it, he's running all over the car and just impossible to deal with. So on my entire 10 hour drive home with my mom and my dog, my mom sits in the back seat of the car so little Rodrigo can have the front seat and be nice and comfy like the little diva that he is. But him barking and being crazy in the car, I mean, he wasn't too bad, but I mean, I'm sorry. Anytime I have to drive more than eight plus hours, that's gonna be my thorn of the week. But. The second part of the thorn is the treacherous Ohio humidity. At first, it was driving me crazy. Like first day back, I was losing my mind. But then it started to help with my, um, my horrible sinuses. So I guess some of that, that moisture really uh, lubricated the sinuses. So I was actually able to breathe a little bit better. And so I enjoyed it briefly just briefly, but then, oh my goodness, I had to do some things outside. I helped my dad mow the lawn today, and it was quite possibly the worst thing I've experienced ever in my entire life, because in Seattle, the humidity is just, it's never bad. 
It's never bad humidity. It's never that hot. But here, it was like 85 degrees in Ohio. The humidity is like 95%. And I'm out there mowing maybe 40 minutes. Maybe. And by the time I'm done, I'm just dripping in sweat. So much so that I went and took a shower. And as I'm showering, like, I'm still sweating. I couldn't shower fast enough to, like, keep up with my sweat. I don't know if you've ever gone swimming. And it's, like, it's a really weird feeling to be sweaty and in water. Because you can 100% tell the difference between which is which. And it was, ugh, it was just a horrible horrible feeling but I survived um, I survived but it's just the beginning I got about another month here in Ohio another month of just being absolutely devastated by the humidity and also it's like rained almost every day I've been here and the, I don't ever if you're from the Midwest because this is, all, this is how every conversation goes with anyone I ever have that I meet or talk to out here uh, about me being from Seattle. This is you know, this is how it goes. I go, hey, how's it going? And they say, good. How are you? Where are you from? Paraphrasing, obviously. Uh, and I go, oh, I'm from Seattle. And they go, doesn't it rain there every day? Um, no, it doesn't. It really doesn't rain that much. But they're like, yeah, well, it, it rains so much more there than it does here. It does not. Apparently, it does not. Because every... Almost every day that I've been here, downpours. Not like the little drizzle or like sprinkle of rain that we'll get in Seattle. Just like pouring rain to the point where if you step outside, soaking wet. Absolutely soaking wet. So that's one thing I also haven't been enjoying. But it is what it is. It could be worse. It could be better. You know, I've got a, I've got a nice little... You could almost call it a studio setup. Unfortunately, the uh, the acoustics down here in the basement don't work. But um, yeah, that's right. I'm basically living out of my parents' basement. 28 years old, doing a podcast out of the parents' basement. So if you uh, guys are wondering what success looks like, don't ask me. <laughs> but um, other than that, Ohio's been it's been nice. I had a lovely little. Uh, Solo Greg Day. Yesterday, I went to the um, the U.S. Air Force Museum. It was randomly in Dayton, Ohio. There's a big Air Force base. So I decided, why don't I take myself to go look at some planes? Um, and I've, I've I've been once. I was maybe like 12 or 13. I don't really remember it. But in the entire time I've lived here, I lived in Ohio, or I did live in Ohio for like 22, 23 years or something, went once. So I got back over there, and holy guacamole, it is gigantic. They have four, like, full-sized military plane hangars just full of all sorts of stuff. But, uh, oh, well, going back, I just realized why it's probably in Dayton, because the Wright brothers are from Dayton. And that's like Ohio's claim to flame, fame, uh, the Wright brothers. So that would make sense. But yeah, they have um, like pieces of cloth from the original Wright flyer, and then they have literally every plane you can think of. They have tons of like replica missiles. Like they have. Um, well, actually, 
they have nukes there, like disarmed nukes that were actually real active nukes at one point that were whatever, denuclearized and then donated to this museum. But the coolest thing for me was, well, the Vietnam helicopters were really cool. And also, there's um, like some local folklore that the Vietnam section of the museum is like super haunted. There's tons of creepy, spooky stories about people having paranormal encounters. And it would make sense. If anything is going to be haunted, it's Vietnam. But the helicopters were still super cool. I went middle of the day, no hauntings for me, no ghosts Viet Cong were jumping out of the, out of the bushes. It was fine. It was safe. But the other really cool thing was they had like four or five of the old presidential planes. So it was like, I think it was before they were called Air Force One. And it was, I think it was in the 40s was the first time a president had his own plane. But you could, you could walk through them. It was super cool to see um, how much better the president gets to fly than any of us ever will. Um, it looked super comfy. There was like some beds, like a full-on like war room or like conference room. But it was cool. If you're ever if, if you're ever in Dayton, Ohio, go check out the Air Force Museum. It's also free. I don't that doesn't make complete sense to me, but I'm not complaining. I love some free entertainment. So that was lovely. And then I went down to it's called the Oregon District. It's like the little uh I don't really know how to explain it. It's kind of, it's like the artsy, but it's the hipster part of Dayton. Um, but it was nice, just walked around. Uh, but that's, I should probably stop ranting and rambling about just the random things I'm doing myself for uh, during my summer. But, moving on. I gotta, actually, hold on, let me check how much time I've used. Because I've been rambling. Oh, okay, we're fine. So, the next thing that I want to do, I'm going to do some, some history talk. Because I love history. And Max and I have been talking. And we're trying to find a way to make the history segments a little more engaging for everybody. So, I would really appreciate it if people would give me some topics that y'all want to hear about. So if you want to reach out and give me some topics, or if you want to buy a buck knife, follow me on Instagram, Greg Tyler Comedy, and just throw out what you want to hear about, or drop me your best offer for a buck knife, 184. Um, but anyways, for this week, I wanted to do some sneaker talk. So, I thought there would be no better place to start than with the original OG basketball shoe, which is the Converse Chuck Taylor All-Stars. And I didn't just randomly choose it, it still fits in because, I don't know exactly what day, but in July of 2003 is when Nike acquired Converse, and 
yeah, I mean, Nike, yeah, bought Converse. Not that exciting, but it's the perfect segue into me getting to talk about the Chuck Taylors. So, the Chuck Taylors, have, they've got to be up there as the most sold shoe. So, as of last year, I believe, I believe it was last year, more than one billion pairs of Chuck Taylors have been sold. So, that's enough pairs to put a pair on every person's feet in Europe and in the US. That's how many of these shoes have sold. They've also been around for a really long time. So that's, you know, that's uh, also adds to it. But the Chucks were really the first basketball sneaker, the first shoe designed for basketball. And this was before basketball was really even that popular. So it all started in the early 1900s, essentially. I believe Converse were founded in 1908. And at that point, they were just kind of producing anything they could. They were a rubber company. So they were just pumping out all sorts of rubber stuff, like rubber duck hunting boots, galoshes, car tires, and some, some tennis shoes. But then eventually, they introduced basketball shoes. So, oh, hold on, let me get through these notes. There's a lot of history on these. But, um, oh, where am I? I just need to find the date that they got released. I believe it was 1917 is when the Chuck Taylors were first released, or it might have been 1923. Early 1920s, we'll go with. But um, they started out, they were not the, the first basketball shoe, but they were the first one to be specifically made with features to edge out the competition to make it a better basketball shoe. Some of these things was a heel patch, that they placed inside of the shoe to help uh, with the rubbing. And the the high ankles were supposed to help protect your, your ankles, obviously. But then the most notable thing about the Converse All-Stars that they're still known for was the diamond tread pattern that's on the bottom. That was really the thing that, that set them apart because it allowed people to, to push off and get better traction and stop and start quickly so that that was a hit was the tread so most importantly how and when did they become the all-stars or the chuck taylor all-stars so in the early years of basketball this is crazy and i didn't know this at all brands that were affiliated with basketball would just start their own basketball teams and they would send them around the country. They were traveling to advertise their products. So, like, the Converse had a team just called the All-Stars that was coached and basically led by Charles Taylor, Chuck Taylor. So he was actually hired, he worked for Converse starting in 1922 as a salesman and as their basketball coach. So this guy wasn't really a professional basketball player by any means. He was just a dude that loved the sport and he was a salesman. A salesman. 
So they would um, they would go around, travel the country. They would put on clinics for coaches and for players. And then after they got done doing these clinics, they would take them down to the sporting goods store and they would have all the coaches order all-stars. So they would basically come out and flex how good they were at basketball and then they would take them on down to the store to buy the shoes that made them so good. But they must have worked. They did well. But um, he And it's crazy too because Chuck Taylor was probably the first guy to have like an endorsed basketball shoe and he wasn't even like considered that great of a basketball player but he was you know he he was charismatic enough and he was a a good businessman and bada bing bada boom he got his name on the shoes but uh they originally did not have his name on them but at this by the time he did get his name on them he was fairly well known throughout the uh, the sports community, specifically the basketball community. So he cuz uh, I mean he was going around he was, you know, building basketball. At this point basketball was young. It didn't have that much interest. And so him expanding the popularity really kind of put him in the forefront of early basketball. But in the early 30s in the height of the depression, all of the brands were scrambling around trying to figure out what to do to, to keep selling things because, you know, bad times, you got to have people buy things. And so their way of looking to make the, uh, the Converse All-Stars stand out was to just add the name of Chuck Taylor right onto him, right on the heel. They just smacked it on there, right on the heel patch, and that's it's still there today. So, I guess if you, you're that good of a salesman, they'll throw your name on something to help it sell even more. But, um, then through, I mean, throughout the, the ages, I guess you could say, or the following decades, um, I mean, the popularity of Converse started to fade a little bit as just other basketball shoes, you know, technology advanced, other shoes came out. But obviously Converse didn't go anywhere. And there's, I should do some more follow-up on this because there's actually a lot of interesting uh, places that Converse were used. Like Converse were the official um, training shoe of the US military during World War One or World War II. So all of the, the guys in boot camp or whatever would be just rocking Chuck Taylor All-Stars. Um, it was the official official shoe of the Olympics for quite a while up until the 60s I believe but they they are just I mean they're iconic everybody that is into sneakers or knows sneakers knows Chuck Taylor all-stars but um, the way that they've stayed relevant is also one of the most impressive things and one of the things that really helped them do that was when they released the Oxford low top iteration of the all-star in 1957 and they did it for just like a less restrictive version with a little more mobility for your ankle and lo and behold it caught on with like the surfer and skater crowd in the uh, the 70s, I believe, 
or no, I think it was the the '60s. The surfers were really into it, and then another big turning point was in 1971 when Converse launched colored shoes, so you could get different colored uh, All Stars, and they did it as a way for college basketball teams to coordinate their school colors with the shoes, and then also a way for fans to buy. You could buy colored sneakers to match your team and just show how much of a fan you were. But um, the color, uh, having the colored canvas, the different uh, color options along with the low tops is really what catapulted the All-Stars almost into that like counterculture movement in a sense because, you know, in, in the 70s it was... Really, it was like the the choice for for punk, punk style, and then metalheads in the '80s, and then even grunge in the '90s have all seen the Chuck Taylors, so they've really found a just their place throughout sneaker history, which is pretty awesome if you're into sneakers. And I I feel like it's pretty difficult to find people, find anyone who hasn't owned a pair of of Chucks throughout their life. Or, I mean, hey, maybe that was just a super popular thing growing up in Ohio. But I swear, everyone I I knew growing up was wearing wearing Chucks. But that about wraps it up on uh, the amount of information I want to dump on you guys about the All-Stars. Chuck Taylor, also an interesting dude. If you want to look him up, he like fought in World War II. He was he was just a tough dude, tough dude that loved basketball. And anyone that loves basketball, I'm a fan of. So shout out you, Chuck Taylor, R.I.P. I'm assuming you're dead. I honestly don't know, but it would make sense. But that's it for for the this week in history segment. But starting next week, I'm gonna add. A little thing to the show, mostly just for me, because I consider myself somewhat of a sneakerhead. I, uh, I I don't have the funds to purchase all of the the pairs of sneakers I'd like, but I, I look them up a lot. I follow them. I do a lot of the research on it. So I'm going to start implementing a sneaker of the week, where I'm going to pick some of my favorite shoes and just talk about them briefly. So starting next week, I'll drop that. And yeah, we'll be back with another lovely episode of Correct Me If I'm Wrong. So as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, Please go follow me on Instagram, Greg Tyler Comedy. Uh, Go find me on eBay and buy a buck knife. I've got about 50 of them sitting here. Don't tell any of the knife folks on eBay or else they won't buy anymore. Um, Just kidding. I'm sure they'll still buy them. But until next time, stay wavy, everybody. Bye.